0: What is up, everyone? Welcome back. It's been about a year. This is the Browns Note podcast. My name is Ryan Burns. I'm coming to you from Dog Pound West in Orange County, California. You can find me at FTBL Sickness on Twitter. You can find the podcast at The Browns Note. And, uh, well, why all of a sudden do we come screaming back into your lives like this? Well, there's no real good reason other than that we just, you know. Just when we thought we were out, they pull us back in and all that stuff. Um, but really, we've got a, yet another <laughs> new beginning here in Brownsland. And so uh, thought we'd give it another go. And with that, I think, uh, I think a quick review, without trying to rehash the whole fiasco, let's sort of super sim to the money shot on the disaster that was 2017. And as we all can remember, the last time we convened in these Uh, Particular parts was Just before the draft of 2017 And the draft went the way it did Uh, For those of you wondering Yes, I would have taken Miles Garrett Number one Uh, I would have liked to have seen him make a move For Pat Mahomes And trying to beat The Chiefs for him at, at 10 But I understand why one would not have done that And then at 12 I certainly would have taken Uh, Deshaun Watson. And yet again, I understand why they didn't. So let me just get all that out there as sort of the backdrop of what we got to talk about. And I'm going to try and move through this quickly because ultimately the past is the past and we can't change it. But I want to at least set the stage so that you understand when I'm speaking about other things later in the podcast, this is sort of where I'm coming from. Anyway, uh, again, loss upon loss upon loss just piles up in 2017. There's the handling of Deshaun Kaiser, which you could view any which way we'll get to the discussion in the quarterback room shortly, there are rumors of discord kind of bouncing back and forth, you you all know the, the sort of local players in terms of media coverage and in terms of who sort of takes what angles at what, and we reach of course peak Browns when we find out that there is an attempted trade that ends up botched from one AJ McCarron, and let's start here the merits of that trade, <laughs> when I heard that they had offered a two and a three to Cincinnati for A.J. McCarron, I promise you the word bellowed. I bellowed <laughs> at the very notion. And then we found out it was true. Oh, my dear, sweet Moses. What a terrible deal. Okay, this is so, it, first of all, it fits the Hugh Jackson perfectly with the the monstrosity of a deal. And and in in retrospect, it is fair to say that it doesn't look like that much of a premium that he gave up when he was with the Raiders for Carson Palmer. But at the time, I assure you, it seemed like an awful lot. And there are just, there, there are a bunch of patterns here that lead me to believe that the head coach got a hold of the owner and sort of forced his way upon the running of the franchise. And to me, I mean, this is what it is. That led to Sashi Brown getting fired. Now, personally, my, my best guess about this thing, Sashi Brown scuttled the trade, however you want to look at that, whether you think that is honorable, whether you think that is a total derogation of duty. I, for one, am glad that the trade didn't happen, so I'll just leave it sort of at that angle, and you can decide what you want about who did what. I don't really care. Um, but at any rate, Sashi Brown's fired. John Dorsey's hired. And a few weeks later... is culminated. Gosh, that was fun. What a season, wasn't it? And really, I mean, the Sashi firing, do I agree with it? No, but who cares? Who cares? It's over. It was over the moment it happened. I was pretty much over at the moment it happened. you got to understand, I'm on a very thin edge here. I grew up 20 minutes from Anaheim Stadium where the Los Angeles Rams played. The Los Angeles Rams are back. They're awfully good. They're well-coached. They've got exciting players on both the offensive and defensive side of the ball. You know, I'm, I'm malleable. I'm easily, I'm, I'm easily discussed when it comes to my, my fanhood. We'll see what happens there. Go Rams. In fact, go Raiders, go Niners, go Jaguars. Do not go Chargers, because, of course, the Chargers belong in San Diego. But the rest of it, as a Browns fan who grew up in Southern California and lives in Southern California, um, there's really only so much I'm willing to tolerate in this modern age where I can pretty much watch whoever I want whenever I want. Anyway, back to the main point. Do I agree with the Sashi firing? No, I really don't. But it doesn't matter. We all know who Jimmy Haslam is by now, right? I mean, we've sort of broken this down. He's impulsive. I mean, there's the backdrop of <laughs> the Flying J. Whatever you know about Flying J, that's out there. So let's, let's include that little matzo ball in the soup here. He appears to understand neither football nor management well enough to, to choose a cohesive philosophy, much less having the patience to kind of wait one of them out. So he's trying to have all the cakes and eat them too. I mean, he goes from, I'm going to go all in with this Paul D. Podesta, you know, the quote unquote money ball theory. And I'll get to that in a moment because it's nonsense. But Paul D. Podesta, John Dorsey, Alonzo Highsmith, Elliot Wolf, now Scott McLuhan. I suppose it can't hurt to have a bunch of people you think are, are really good at what they do running things. But we'll see how that turns out in practice. I mean, whether you want to call it too many cooks in the kitchen, whatever the case in your mind, might be. I mean, the reality is it's hard to look at what, what Jimmy Haslam has done and consider it a cohesive philosophy. Now, might he run into one? Sure. David Eckstein hit a home run now and then. So might might the hiring of John Dorsey and all these other former Green Bay scouts turned GMs and so on and so forth really make the Browns a competitive organization. Yes, it could still happen. And so I don't want to I don't want to dismiss it as a possibility, but it's hard to it's hard to view it as anything other than David Eckstein running into a home run when you look at sort of the the move by move process that, that Jimmy Haslam has undergone since he's been the owner. And I and I sort of do now at this point I think it's I think it's reasonable to draw the line at the way we discuss this franchise as pre-Haslam and post-Haslam, because everything before Haslam at this point is completely meaningless. Haslam's had more than enough chances to set up what should be his model. And hey, maybe we have finally landed on a model, but the only reasonable conclusion thus far based upon the evidence is that, you know, this guy's going to get impatient in a year or so, and we're going to have to start everything all over again. And, and maybe I'm being pessimistic, but I like to think of it as mildly observant. Um... You know, 0-16 wasn't pretty It wasn't pretty At any rate Let's get back to the front office for a moment Because to me, no I didn't agree with the Sashi firing But hey, from a certain perspective It was totally defensible And let's start here The quarterback room in the Sashi Brown era Was trash And I, I'm, I'm basically Pro-Sashi, but to the extent that we're going to do This whole thing where there are only two camps And you can either be Super pro Sashi or super, super anti I'm not in either of those camps The way I look at it is Look, people need a little time To settle into a gig like that And if you're going to hire a guy like Sashi Brown Who admittedly had the resume he, resume he had Well then either give him the time To figure it out or don't And if you don't Well, I'm not going to pretend That you didn't give him that time And so it is what it is um, But to me the most The most criticizable Factor of the Sashi Brown era is the way that the quarterback position was handled year one We got Robert Griffin, the third and Cody Kessler now I assure you there's a picture I could tweet out of my facial reaction upon the Cody Kessler Selection which was not ideal and then then there was the whole the earth moved RG three quarterback scenario Which was we're gonna take RG three And that's going to allow us to sort of buy some time at the quarterback position because he'll be at least competent And I don't know where the hell that came from because there was no tape to suggest that. His rookie year was exciting, and it got worse and worse and worse as it went on, and it never got any better. And so the idea that that Griffin was going to suddenly step on the field after a couple of years of missed football and injury rehabbing and become much more than what he was before, to me was always misguided. And then if you're going to throw Cody Kessler into that mix, you've really left yourself no viable options. And they did it again in 2017. I mean, it was just as bad. You don't go get Goff. Of course, Goff and Wentz was in 16 as well. So because of RG3, you don't trade up for Goff. And if you ask me, the failure to trade for Goff was the biggest whiff. It is not passing on Carson Wentz, who everybody in the organization agreed they didn't want to take, including Hugh Jackson. Mary Kay Cabot's bullshit report that Hugh Jackson somehow wanted Carson Wentz is nonsense. If you look at the simple factual tweet history of Silver. And look, those of you that want to tweet Mike Silver and include me in your ats, let me just put it this way. When he says he got it from you, Jackson, you can pretty much take that to the bank. When he tells you what he thinks, you can pretty much tell you, or you can pretty much tell yourself he's telling you what he thinks. He gives you the distinction. So look, I don't have the beef that you guys have with with Silver, the problem you have is with Hugh Jackson You just don't like the Silver's the messenger And I'm fine with it I want, if my, if my head coach is dumb enough To give uh, important information to a reporter That the reporter then blogs about um, it, ought to be, it ought to be news <laughs> So anyway, I go back to that And I think that the failure to trade for golf Was the biggest whiff It's not passing on on Wentz The, the bottom line is that And if you look at Silver's tweets it's really clear. Jackson didn't think Wentz was worth the number two pick. He would have certainly been for a deal for Jared Goff. If you look at what the Rams gave up for Jared Goff, you have to ask yourself, would it have been prudent for the Browns to do so? Maybe it would have, maybe it wouldn't have. I, I honestly can understand either side of that argument. So I'm f- I'm fine with what did and did not happen. But ultimately, to me, the Wentz thing is, is a no issue. So if you're really hung up on, hey, they passed on Carson Wentz, Good, be hung up on it, but the reality is the entire organization was fine with it, including your coach, including your coach, including your coach. And then, of course, in 2017, you had Trubisky, Watson, Mahomes, Kaiser, and somehow you end up with Osweiler and Kaiser, while Josh McCown went on to win a handful of games with the Jets, and then you give away Osweiler. Which look, no, no skin off my teeth. I. Was perfectly fine with the Osweiler deal Frankly, getting the pick was worth taking on the salary Totally worth it Love that deal But when you come to the end of the season You're complaining you don't have a veteran option As your quarterback And Brock Osweiler is starting a couple of games For the Denver Broncos Admittedly playing at a Brock Osweilerian level Yippee Um, You know The complaints ring kind of hollow Same thing with Josh McCown being out, especially when that was known to be a Hugh Jackson decision. So to me, yeah, the GM is responsible for all that. Sashi Brown, accountable. Cool. And if we follow the bouncing ball, we know full well that Hugh Jackson had plenty of input on the QB room. Robert Griffin III was primarily a Hugh Jackson decision. Cody Kessler, I don't believe was. Number one, he's not tall, and we know how Hugh Jackson feels about the 6'2 and above rule. And he was kind of a – Cody Kessler was a pro football-focused favorite, which kind of fits in with the analytics side. And so I think, you know, his trust me quote, if you look back on it, look, he was – as as Silver says, he's taken one for the team, and I believe that. Kaiser doesn't make a lot of analytical sense. So to me that feels like a bone that was thrown to Hugh and then got chewed up promptly because, I, I mean, I don't think there's anyone that loves the way that Hugh Jackson and the coaching staff handled – Deshaun Kaiser this year, but what choice were they given? Who were they supposed to throw out there? Hogan was terrible. Kessler's terrible. Kaiser's at least got some talent. Can't play. He's got some talent. Anyway. Oh, and a postscript to all this save your tears about the Jimmy Garoppolo <laughs> trade. By the way, Jimmy Garoppolo looks like a total Hall of Famer, and so I'm going to just take the L because I said, uh, no, you don't want to trade. Whatever picks it was, I said they shouldn't trade. Obviously, they should have. Um, but I don't think it would have mattered. And the Alex Smith trade, same deal. And frankly, I'd advise preparing for disappointment if you're hoping for Kirk Cousins because your quarterback of the future, whether we like it or not, is coming from that number one overall pick until further notice. And so I just want to clear up a couple more things about the front office, and then we'll be done with 2017. And this will be, you know, 20 minutes of gibberish in uh, in lieu of a year's worth of podcasts complaining about how things were sort of ignored and how they ought to go and how they didn't go and anyway the front office analytics let's be clear about what analytics was in the Browns front office it was not some let's make every decision based upon a mathematical formula nonsense There's nothing that drives me more insane in the sports world than the rejection of information. Information is good. Both Super Bowl teams used what are commonly considered analytics uh, extensively. The Eagles, the Patriots, the Seahawks do it. The Steelers do it. I mean, we can can be scared of math and hate nerds just like um, nerds the guy from uh, from Revenge and the Nerds whose name I'm forgetting. But at any rate, what analytics ultimately is is improved decision-making. It is information that helps you narrow the factors uh, that lead to uncertainty in the making of a decision. And so the idea that we would reject analytics, and as I understand analytics, it means information, data, which leads to decision-making, uh, the idea that we reject such information is, to me, misguided and foolish and obviously contrary to what Super Bowl-winning franchises are doing. Let that roll around for a moment. Anyway, the Browns had tons of traditional scouting. They have one of the more uh, robust traditional scouting departments over the past several years. You've got Andrew Barry running that department. He is bill polian certified it's really frustrating to hear modern quote-unquote modern contemporary football media be so dismissive of quote analytics when all analytics really is is better information and with that i'll shut up let's look forward shall we enough with the past uh looking ahead You know, the Browns going forward, I'm not going to hold it against John Dorsey that Jimmy Haslam chose him. I'm not going to hold it against John Dorsey that Jimmy Haslam didn't like what he saw from Sashi Brown and couldn't stand the the, the sort of patience-trying process of waiting out the analytics. (laughs) And here's the reality. John Dorsey is equipped with so much salary cap room and so much draft capital that he is, as Evan Silva pointed out last week, playing t ball in terms of rebuilding this franchise. It's all out there in front of you. You've got a chance to do some really exciting stuff. And hey, if you get it right, that'll be a victory. It's not your fault that Jimmy Haslam didn't didn't stick with Sashi Brown. It's not your fault that Jimmy Haslam didn't stick with the quote unquote money ball approach. And and in fact. Maybe that's all overblown Maybe Jimmy Haslam has kind of stuck with that And just decided that, hey I want a more traditional football guy Making that final call And look, there's room for that discussion So let's all be reasonable about it Shall we? (laughs) Anyway, Cleveland Browns 2018, hard to believe It's been coming at you this long This is the Browns Note Podcast Welcome back, we're going to speak with Brendan Leister At Brendan Leister on Twitter real shortly We'll be right back all right, I'm happy to be joined now by Brendan Leister, my old friend who you can find and you should on Twitter at Brendan Leister. How you doing, man? Doing good. How about you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. We're back here doing it after uh, it's been a year since last week convened on the podcast. But of course you were out here in sunny Southern California for a little December sunshine and Los Angeles chargers as much as that still bothers me football. Um, how did you enjoy your trip to the, to the StubHub center?
1: Oh, it was awesome. Great little stadium. Um, we were on the second or second level, wasn't it? Or they only got two, Bubba. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But we were, it felt like we were really close to the action and, uh, just a really small stadium. Went to the Lakers game right after that. It was pretty awesome.
0: That's right. We did. We uh we got to You were only here for like 48 hours, but we we got mm-hmm. some good times and we got to see the Browns and the Chargers. We saw the Lakers and the Rockets. Saw my Lakers get fairly demolished by the Rockets. We we met we met old Kean. Um, yeah, we had a good few days. You saw Joey Bosa at my local breakfast establishment?
1: That's and, right. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's
0: pretty pretty fun.
1: set I had to hit him up with a goat box.
0: Yeah, so. naturally, which I'm sure he yep. was not expecting in SoCal, but it was still uh, kind of a cool random little moment there. Joey Bosa yeah. at the – well, we won't blow up his breakfast spot. <laughs> you can't, you can't <laughs> mess with a man's omelet, so we'll leave it at that. But I thought, uh, you know, look, we can uh, – we'll have a number of things to discuss over the next couple of months and several months as the the off season progresses and eventually we work our way back towards attempting to win a football game. Uh, But I thought we ought to kick around some of the narratives that have sort of uh, engendered themselves or proliferated over the last year or so and continue to do so today and just kind of check in with each other on how we view each of those. And so there are a couple of them. I already, in the opening, which you've not yet heard, I, I sort of addressed my feelings about how the quarterback room has been handled for the past couple of years. And since, first of all, let's... Set some. I've done a poor job here as a host already because it's been a year since we've done one of these podcasts, and I'm not introducing you properly. You are, in fact, a quarterback coach, and so let's let's just talk about the way that the old regime handled the quarterback position for a moment. What that kind of leaves us with, why it didn't work the way it apparently was designed to work. And uh, and where you'd rather see it go uh, going forward So let's just briefly, if you would Summarize for me your feeling about Kaiser, Osweiler, Kessler That's sort of the mix of it Obviously Griffin was there the year before but But I, what I would ask is give me your sort of assessment of the way the quarterback position was handled and then without getting too deep into the guys coming up this year um let's talk about it on a more general level what is it you think you ought to be striving for at that position given all of that crap that we got a price into the discussion
1: I think what happened the past couple of years was uh to start off in 2016, they uh, it seemed like they looked at their roster. They didn't think it was ready for the franchise quarterback investment at the top of the drafts. They saw an opportunity to trade down. I don't think they were sold on a Wentz there. Um, looking back now, that looks like a question mark, but we'll see how he does now that his OC and QB coach are gone. Um, and then after that, I think they were uh, comfortable Throwing darts in the later rounds the past couple of years, um, taking Kessler in the third round. And then last year, I think they still were in that position where they were, uh, they may have been targeting Mahomes at 12. I mean, we will never know, but they clearly weren't sold on Watson there. Uh, they traded down again and then they threw another dart um, on, a, you know, those second, third round picks, later rounds, anywhere after basically the top of the second round is. Very low percentage chance of finding a franchise quarterback. So then they threw another dart at Kaiser. I think ideal world, you didn't really want him to be starting all those games this past season. You definitely would have liked to see uh, a mentor, a veteran in the in the quarterback room that could have probably started some games and taken that heat off of him early on in his career. I think it didn't help also that Hugh Jackson kind of hyped him up in the preseason after he had a couple, uh, big oh, we'll throws. Get, we'll get to
0: Hugh and his propensity to talk yeah. about things.
1: <laughs> yeah, but yes, but I don't think that that helped things at all the way that he kind of said that he wasn't ready before the preseason. And then as soon as Kaiser made a couple touchdown throws on plays where he pump faked and threw to his first option, um, Hyping him up after that, acting like he was, you know, ready to have a long special career in Cleveland—that was a bit of a
0: question mark. Yeah. So, uh, what, what's I, your gut it, feeling? I'm just curious about this. What's your gut feeling on? So, I mentioned in the opening, Kessler and the whole Hugh Jackson, trust me, quote and all that. I, the way I basically have come to look at it is that Kessler was more or less a front office call because he kind of does line up with that analytic efficiency model of what they were at least what we believe they were trying to accomplish. Whereas Kaiser, to me, there's not an analytic argument to be made in his favor. There's an old-school football guy argument to be made in his favor, because if you watch enough tape, you'll see enough really, really pretty plays that display enough really, really um, exciting theoretical talent in the player, right? But I don't see how... The same people could be responsible for drafting Cody Kessler on the one hand and Deshaun Kaiser on the other. They are, to me, two diametrically opposed players. And I'm just kind of wondering, and I didn't mean to cut you off, but I'm wondering how you reconcile all that in the middle of that conversation.
1: Yeah, I think from some of the information that's come out, it seems like they may have been targeting Brissette, Um, right before they took Kessler. And when he jumped off the board, I could see him aligning with what Hugh Jackson wants at the position. I could see that a lot more. And I actually was a fan of Brissett coming out. Um, to be honest, I didn't really study Kessler before that draft much. So I didn't have a strong take on him at the time. But I think they were probably going to take Brissett <laughs> When he went off the board, I think they already knew that they liked the analytical things, the statistics that Kessler brought to the table. They probably knew that he was one of the highest graded quarterbacks on pro football focus in 2000, whatever his junior year was not his senior year, but his his third year in college. Um, So, and then with Kaiser, I do think Hugh Jackson probably was on board with that draft pick. Uh, He does align with what
0: Hugh like would seem to look for in a quarterback. And I just don't yeah, see big, Kaiser aligning. a lot of arm yeah. and, you know, can move around a little yeah. bit and he's got some guts to him. I, I totally get it.
1: Yeah. I mean, the, the only thing with Kaiser that made me think that he may have been at all what the front office was looking for would have been the age, you know, he was just such a young quarterback that they may have seen the upside long-term with him, but nothing about his, you know, his college record, his accuracy, any of that type of stuff, I couldn't see where they would look at him and say, oh, this guy projects as a long-term starter. I think again, it was just, it was throwing darts, trying to add youth to the quarterback room, guys that could potentially come in. And I think Kessler was like a long-term backup as right. where Ki- Ke- Kaiser, Kaiser was, was a like-
0: reasonable shot at it at 52 with a bunch of extra draft resources and a kid that was clearly talented. And this is not to give up on Kaiser, right? But it's to be realistic about where they should have been on Kaiser a year ago as opposed to throwing him into the fire, like you're saying.
1: Exactly. And like you mentioned Osweiler before, I mean, they traded for him, but that he was a throw-in in that deal. They tried to flip him right after that. They were hoping they could get more draft picks for him. I think it was a really savvy trade getting that second-round pick. We're going to be happy we have it. It doesn't matter that they spent whatever it was, $17 million on him this past season that means nothing to us as fans it's already. It over. means nothing. And to it's already, team. it's exactly. gone. It's already, yeah, it it's doesn't already mean gone. anything. Yeah, exactly. Like spending 17 million on that guy doesn't matter. Like they get a second round pick for the next four years. That's huge. So they draft a guy at the top of the second round and he turns into a great player that that was a great investment trading Osweiler. But my point with Osweiler is he was never going to be that bridge type quarterback that I think many of us are looking for now. So, uh, I just think they they really did a poor job of handling the quarterback room overall, just adding guys to the to the room because they didn't really have anybody that was proven that they could play. And I would imagine that and and I kind of felt this way going into the season. I thought that Kessler and many people thought that Kessler played well enough as a rookie that he could
0: kind of. Moving I, forward, I, I wasn't to really this past one of them, but, but yeah, I, I recognize that I was largely in the minority on that. And, and look, that's not to say that Kessler couldn't still put himself together a decent little backup career, but that's what that at best uh, surely we're not hoping for more than that from him.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I think the thing with him was, uh, he just. Coming into camp, he seemed like he had no confidence this past year. I just thought his whole demeanor and everything on the field, like in the preseason and everything, he looked like a completely different guy yeah, from he, the guy that went out. knew he'd
0: already been replaced, right?
1: Yeah. I mean. yeah, maybe. I mean, he was supposedly taking the starter snaps going into camp and everything. It's just, <laughs> it wasn't the same guy. Life comes at you fast. <laughs> yeah, it just wasn't the same guy that took the field last year or two years ago now against, you know, the Redskins, the Dolphins, The Texans, I believe, just those team or maybe the Titans it was. Those games I felt he played admirably well for a third string rookie that didn't get any reps until he was thrown into the fire. Exactly. He was thrown into the fire on a super young, inexperienced team and led them to not wins. He didn't get any wins, but you know, he played well enough to keep them in games and move the ball didn't throw many touchdowns, but he threw very few picks as well. So I think the front office probably expected him to take steps forward and keep the seat warm until Kaiser was ready, if he was going to be ready, but that just didn't happen. His whole demeanor, his body language, everything about him, I thought took a huge step back and uh, it showed in the way he played in the preseason and. I don't even think, did weird. he see the he, field this year?
0: Yeah, he didn't see the field once. Kevin Hogan. Yeah, it was very yeah, It was briefly. Kevin Hogan that took the field. That's actually a fun question. More likely to be on the roster come October. Kevin Hogan or Deshaun Kaiser. I
1: would say Kevin Hogan because his GM draft, the GM
0: in Cleveland now drafted him. So definitely Kevin Hogan. And that seems like a reasonable segue into the next little portion of narrative that we have to discuss, which is, let's talk about John Dorsey. Look, I don't. I don't hold it against John Dorsey that Jimmy Haslam couldn't see what Sashi Brown wanted to do, and there are those certainly who would be on the total flip side of this, which is woohoo, John Dorsey, we got a, a traditional football guy with some pedigree to him, and I totally get that. I, I. It's not how I view it, but I totally get it, and so when I look back at his drafts in Kansas City, which is really all I can. All I can do. I can't look at Green Bay and go, okay, he's responsible. For X, Y, Z guy. Yeah, you're going to hear some anecdotal stuff about which guys John Dorsey found, and that's all fine and good. But at the end of the day, that's no longer the job he's signed up for. The job he has now involves managing people, it involves building an entire roster, not just finding a diamond in the rough from a position group, it involves um, managing a salary cap, which we do have a sample size to deal with in terms of what Kansas City's looking at. And for those of you not keeping up with and I don't blame you if you're not, but for those of you not keeping up, Kansas City just traded their quarterback because of their cap problem you're be. and because they, of course, had invested in Patrick Mahomes. But at the end of the day, nobody's going to tell me they saw enough from Patrick Mahomes that a Pro Bowl you know, playoff quarterback was just willy-nilly expendable. And so the cap came, in, it came into play there. And, and Dorsey had enough years, I think it was four years in Kansas City, that you have to at least pay attention to the way the entire project was managed. And I'll say I, I enter into this project with a little bit of trepidation on that front. Now, awful lot of good players on the Kansas City roster, and I have no reason not to give the GM credit for it. So I know you've looked a little bit, probably with better recollection than I, at the drafts that Dorsey has. And I'm wondering, as you study it, what you come up with. Well, to start off, it's
1: interesting. Um, I feel like I need to say this, first of all, is with Andy Andy Reid, he's one of those head coaches I've never known whether to give him or his GM credit or more credit. But you know he has juice. You know Andy Reid has juice. Exactly. It's like, like Belichick, when he worked with Pioli, you know, Casario, like we talk about these guys that work with him that are the GM figurehead, but are they really the GM? Like Tom Heckert was supposedly Andy Reed's GM, but nobody gave Tom Heckert the credit for drafting the players in those two or three drafts when he was the, you know, title GM. Andy Reid always got that credit. So I, I wonder just to start off I wonder how much credit Dorsey really deserves for the final say on those players I guess that's, that's I have just no I'll answer start for
0: that other than to say that yeah. I think he gets a blank slate it, to yeah. me look he gets credit for good stuff if if good stuff happened in Kansas City I'll give him some credit but basically yeah it's credit that to me is mitigated by the whole Andy Reed factor and ultimately it was still kind of a short period and it's obviously affected by what happened before he got there. He wasn't there long enough to clear out what happened before he got there. And he, I mean, if we're being real about it, he probably won't be in Cleveland long enough to do that here either. <laughs> but but uh, for me, Dorsey is basically a GM blank slate as he enters Cleveland. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I view him the same way. And I just wanted to say that starting off, just I'm not sure what to think of him as a GM yet. I know everybody's given him all this credit, but remains to be seen. Um so his first pick was Eric Fisher, two thousand thirteen. So that, you know, that's been an up and down career. It got a
0: lot of hate early on to be but fair that was a around. trash draft, right? That's the draft that it everybody was, talks yes. about that there just weren't any it players. Was. That was our barquevius Mingo draft. We were both in on Mingo. That didn't work yep. out great. And sometimes you get a bad year. And I would at least say this, Eric Fisher has been a starting offensive lineman for the Kansas Chiefs that whole time and a decent one. Yeah. He's definitely had a better career than most of the guys that
1: went at the top of that draft. So I'm not bashing that. Yeah, exactly. I'm not bashing that pick. Um, It's just weird to see a tackle. Number one, overall, that's all Uh, Travis Kelsey. that, That was a hell of a pick. Probably the number two tight end in the NFL right now.
0: Um, And that brings up another interesting issue because Kelsey had some quote-unquote character concerns coming out of the draft, and it would appear that Dorsey has no real qualms about that. If you take into account a guy like Kelsey, you take into account a guy like Tyreek Hill, who if you have done any studying on it, that incident was pretty, pretty awful. And, of course, the most recent one, and I, I, I always hesitate to get into the details of it, and I'm not going to drag it out. But Kareem Hunt, of course, accused uh, just this past weekend of uh, what effectively would be a domestic violence uh, uh, problem. And so it, it seems clear enough to me that John Dorsey's not—at l- the very least, we can assume that John Dorsey's not letting character concerns keep what he sees as a really good player off his roster—
1: yeah, and and again, whether that's him, Reed, whatever, still the Chiefs drafted those guys under their watch, um, 2013 draft. I mean, those were the really the only two noteworthy guys. Nile Davis had some years where he put up some production, but I haven't really seen him do anything lately. Is he even in the NFL anymore? I'm not sure. Um, and then there was a couple hard other guys to say who could tell. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's a running back. I think I he's mean, actually on a million the Chiefs still, but I could be wrong about that really okay yeah there's a million running backs in the nfl so uh th- the next year oh, d ford we'll get to that i assure you so then next year d ford 17 and a half sacks in his career i think he's come on more so of late with uh more snaps with uh with their outside linebackers houston and uh what's the other guy's name uh,
0: the guy from penn state uh, I'm totally blanking. Are we talking? Yeah, about, well, we're not talking about Tom Lee.
1: Yeah, that okay. is who. Yeah.
0: Was he from? Penn yeah, State with those United? guys, so long ago. Dude. Yeah, Tom Lee to me yeah. is the Kansas City Chiefs. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, D well, Ford. He's you know hadn't. what's interesting about that though is Houston Holly Ford is at least something you could project forward and think, huh. Well, depending on how John Dorsey views all these guys and how those first several picks shake out, and we'll get to the we're gonna do a lot of in depth draft stuff for the next couple of months, but I mean if if Bradley Chubb is available at, say, the four pick, I don't think you can take it out of the rotation of options just because you have Miles Garrett and Emmanuel Ogbud. Now there may be as you drill down into it, reasons not to make that the case. But ultimately, I know you and I are both on board with the idea of pass rush, pass rush, pass rush. We're probably also both on board with the idea that what the browns lack right now is some interior push. Uh, maybe they'll get that from some of their guys in, in in house and and maybe not. But ultimately, I find a real I, I find it difficult to argue with the notion that you would take. The best pass rusher in the draft and add him to your quiver unless you were already sacking quarterbacks at an alarming rate, which we most certainly are not. Right. Yeah. Uh,
1: The Browns blitzed more than almost any team in the or they did. They blitzed more than any team in the NFL this year. And the conversion rate on on blitzes, the pressure rate in general was really poor. So, I definitely would like to see the pass rush upgraded. We saw Miles Garrett move inside, get a couple sacks. His first sack of his career, he lined up at three technique. I think Ogba could move inside
0: at times. Chubb probably could as well. And they totally forgot to block him. I forgot to mute it, obviously, or unmute it. But they totally forgot to block Miles on the first sack of his career. How is the left? Go- I know we're <laughs> total detour. How are you going to leave Miles Garrett just walking into your backfield?
1: <laughs> yeah. It's like a gift.
0: Yeah. We're, but yeah, we're right. so the 20. 20- yeah. The
1: 2014 draft is actually pretty good though. Phillip Gaines played a lot of games at DB for them to Anthony Thomas. I mean, he's, he's been a special teamer. he hasn't been done a ton on offense, but I know he's returned quite a few kicks for them. And it, it seemed to me like to Anthony Thomas, they were trying to find Tyree kill before Tyree kill actually happened. Like they were trying to find these quick, fast guys, explosive weapon type, like a running back slash receiver type guy, um, Aaron Murray, I liked Aaron Murray coming out of Georgia, but so he didn't pan a out. Lot. Yeah, you know what? Yeah. And then they, it's a tough game. Yeah, and then they found two offensive linemen late in that draft that have played sixty-three games and forty-one games. So that's that's pretty solid. Whoa. That's a very solid. Who are draft. we talking about? It's Zach Fulton, and then I can't pronounce this guy's name. Loren, Loren Deverne Tardif. All right, whatever. But that guy's played how many games? He's played 41. Zach Fulton's and played it, 63. That's not 41 starts. No, that's games.
0: Okay. Still, that's, legit. that's a lot of games. That's since a legitimate NFL experience. Yeah. That's playing yeah, that's a little a bit every lot. game pretty much. I, I mean. Yep. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead.
1: Yep. Yeah. So then the next draft, Marcus Peters. I mean, that's been a hell of a pick.
0: 19 interceptions in his career. And, He's, and I'll give him credit for it because yet again, we run into a guy with, quote-unquote, character concerns. And and this is, to me, kind of where the rubber meets the road on that stuff. The Marcus Peters character concerns, to me, were always way overblown. And it's only, it, I admittedly knew a couple of people that knew the right people so that I could hear certain things. But I think those NFL GMs probably have access to all that information, I guess, is really the only point of telling you that. And so if you can deduce, okay, here's what this guy's, actually done versus here's a guy that's had a consistent history of problems marcus peters did not have a consistent history of problems and he had a remarkable career at washington and that guy dropped down the draft to me he was clearly the best corner in that draft and dropped down i i want to say they got him at between 18 and 22 ish somewhere in there but at any it was 18 yeah way way too low for marcus peters based on the player that he was at Washington. But he had, he had basically been suspended. Um, I, I may be botching a little bit the, the technical language that was used at the time, but at the end of the day, he was more or less suspended for a, a chunk of time, and it clearly hurt his draft stock. To me, Marcus Peters was always a top five, top ten player, and he's played like one in Kansas City. And so, frankly, I give that. that that's a plus for John Dorsey to me.
1: Yeah, that was a great pick. Um, then you go throughout that draft. It's Mitch Morse. I mean, he's played a lot of games. Played 38 games. Uh, Chris Conley's played 37 games at wide receiver. Steven Nelson, 36 games at corner. Ramique Wilson, 30 games inside linebacker. DJ Alexander, outside linebacker, 44 games. Everybody's playing. James o- Everybody's yeah, playing. Yeah, they are. Yeah, these guys have played a lot. Which James, leads O'Shaughnessy, me to believe he's 39. not going to
0: let. Hugh Jackson put David Najoku on the bench. You know what I'm saying? You know what I mean? Like, there's, I I hate to do it, and I and I keep interrupting the, the the flow of the discussion, but I keep coming back to everything optimistic that we might glean from recent Browns history and and a plan and whatever actions they're taking always has to be balanced against. Yeah, but their owner's Jimmy Haslam, exactly has to. Has to every time. That,
1: that's the thing that people keep. I feel like the the optimism. I mean, I've been very guilty of it in the past. I've forgotten way too many times who the owner is, and I'm not doing it anymore. So, yeah, so James O'Shaughnessy, tight end, 39 games. And then Ramique Nunez Roches defensive tackle 34 games so I know we're not getting into like how these guys have performed necessarily except the guys that really
0: stand out they're not I mean these guys on the bench they're not out on the street that's what we know
1: yeah exactly many of these guys might be special teamers I mean as long as you're drafting players that are making the team making contributions I think that that's a huge key and then if you have guys that are at the top of your roster like you know you got the Kareem Hunts you've got You've got Alex Smith at quarterback, Tyree Kill, Marcus Peters. You've got all those top players, Travis Kelsey. And then you can kind of fill in around those guys with a lot of solid starters, solid special teamers. That That's what allows the winning as well as the great coaching. Um, so moving on to 2016, um, I remember he actually traded out of the first round that night, so. I wasn't sure how many trade downs we would continue to see, but he does seem to be a GM that's willing to trade down, at least based on that that move. I remember that night, 2016 draft, he traded out, traded back to 37 from around 28, I believe, mm-hmm. late in the first round that year. And took Chris Jones, who's played um, both back-to-back years, 32 games each season, or 32 games since then. Uh, Were you eight and a, a half back on since. Chris Jones? I was, yeah. He was a great interior rusher, that was a guy that I'd love to have I, in
0: Cleveland. That was not a question I did not know the answer to.
1: <laughs> yeah, great great interior rusher coming out of Mississippi State, really explosive guy. And that's another guy that I think had some character question marks as well. So this is a trend with uh, – it seems like they, he likes to find value later on with guys that should have gone earlier based on the talent, but they take them later on because he was probably – confident or they were confident that Andy Reed could deal with these guys and you know lead them along kind of like Pete Carroll does in Seattle with guys that they take chances on when it comes to the character stuff um Kaivari Russell I don't know if I pronounced his first name right uh, 13 games cornerback Parker Einger uh guard 6 games so that's that's not many games in the past 2 years Eric Murray, cornerback, 30 games. Demarcus Robinson, wide receiver, 32 games. Kevin Hogan, eight games, but that's with the Browns. He got cut. He was, I believe, they, dra- they drafted him in the fifth round. He was the fifth quarterback on the roster, so what, they cut what, him. What round for, was
0: Murray? I, I didn't mean to rewind you. Aaron Murray was fifth round. No, not the quarterback. I'm sorry, the corner that you were just talking about. Oh, Patrick Eric Murray. Murray. Eric Murray. Eric Murray was fourth round. And he's played how many games in two years? 30. Thank you. Yeah.
1: So that, I mean, a lot of that might be special teams. I don't know, but yeah. Um,
0: whatever yeah, one at, sack. That, at that point in the draft, making that kind of con whatever contribution he's making to a playoff NFL team matters. Yeah,
1: I agree. hundred percent. These mid to late round guys, as long as they're playing in games, it's important. And, and, you know, a lot of these guys that we mentioned, some of them might be on other teams. They might be playing games on other teams too, but as long as they're playing games in the NFL, you know who else is on
0: other teams? Joe Hayden, Taylor <laughs> Gabriel, et cetera, et cetera. Alex Mack. Yeah, Alex Mack. That's the one that actually hurts. Mitchell Schwartz, yeah. Deshaun yeah. Gibson, yeah. So get to 17 and tell me this. As you yeah. lead into 17's draft from John Dorsey with the Kansas City Chiefs, <laughs> right before he was fired, I know it's a retrospect question, but would you have given up more than the Chiefs did? No, I wouldn't have. You wouldn't have? No, I would not. Okay, good. I feel the same way as much as – I go back on it and I think to myself, you know, Burns, damn it, Pat Mahomes was probably your favorite quarterback prospect <laughs> other than Andrew Luck for like 15 years. I liked Patrick Mahomes, and, and see, this is, this is where the distinction, the dividing line between I loved him, but from, a, from an analytical prospect Strictly a, a, a bluntly, honest, eval spot. It wasn't the same. Like, I didn't trust him. You know what I mean? There, I loved his game. But could I say to myself, I would take him over Miles Garrett? No, I couldn't say that. In retrospect, there are moments where that waffles. I know that's not reasonable. So I go back to it and I think, no, at that point, like you're saying now, I wouldn't have made that trade. Tell me why you wouldn't have. Well, the the big thing for me is giving up all that draft capital.
1: And Deshaun Watson was there at 12. And I liked Deshaun Watson a lot, too. I mean, yeah, I loved Pat Mahomes. But fortunately, Watson was I have a great receipts. player as well.
0: Fortunately, I have receipts. There's a tweet out there. As we were on the clock, it says, I would take Deshaun Watson. (laughs) So so I agree with you. It's hard. But I also totally, I said in the opening, I totally understand why someone might not have taken Deshaun Watson at 12. And you end up with Jabril Peppers and David Njoku, both of whom I think are going to be good players. But anyway, back to the court, or back to Kansas City in the the 2017 draft. Well, and you end up
1: with the fourth pick in this draft, which that is extremely valuable so that's another key factor of that Watson trade down if if they don't do that they don't have the fourth pick this year so Mahomes played one game so far had some big time flashes in that game but that's the thing with him too is I can't say that I'd trade all this draft capital for him because I mean teams haven't had a whole offseason to prepare for
0: him yet a lot to trade for literally anyone
1: yeah it would be exactly but he still hasn't really played a ton in the NFL yet so we still have to see him play games like we did with Watson before he got hurt. Um, so then second round, Tano Capasino, defensive end, 16 games, Kareem hunt. We all know how that went. He was a great player in his rookie year, 16 games. Uh, I think leading rusher in the entire NFL. Uh, Jehu Chesson from Michigan wide receiver, 12 games. And then a linebacker in the fifth round played 14 games. And then Leon McQuay, safety, played one game in the sixth round. So that was a very small draft probably because they traded so many picks to move up for
0: Mahomes. And that, made six it, picks. That That highlights a couple of things. Number one, it highlights... At least in theory, Dorsey's willingness to make a major move for a quarterback he feels strongly about, assuming, of course, that this was not primarily an Andy Reid call, which in reality, I suspect mm-hmm. it was. I think it was. Yeah, of He's course. Probably it was. Of Who the hell is going to. Green yeah, Bay. Oh, Of course
1: it well, did. Both of them, I guess. Well, I
0: mean, I guess both of them. That's yeah. all fine and good, but you and I both know when it came to what quarterback are we going to throw in with, with the Kansas City Chiefs for the next 10 years. Who do we think had the juice in that decision, Andy Reid or John Dorsey? I know who's still there, exactly. <laughs> so, so it's really obvious to me. That's a that was an Andy Reid pick, but I'm not here to discredit John Dorsey for that. I, maybe John Dorsey loved him too, and so yep. it is what it is. We'll we'll sort of see how it plays out. Um. So yeah, I mean, I I look at Dorsey's drafts and I think there's there are things to like. There are things to be kind of. Milk toast about, and we'll we'll see how it works out. And hence, back to my original point about, look, to me, he's got a blank slate. So tell you what, we do have several months of podcasts to come before there's actual football. So let's break it down with one last topic here before we close it up for this week. I think quarterback is the natural place to spend extra time. As this draft approaches, we've got a number of quarterbacks to look at. I think for me, as I've made clear via the Twitter account, and I will make clear on this podcast, there are at least four that I think are worth thinking about really early in the draft. And that's Josh Rosen, Sam Darnold, Baker Mayfield, Lamar Jackson, very much not Josh Allen. (laughs) Um, but, but I haven't spent a ton of time. You know, look, I've watched them all. I've basically seen every cut up on Draft Breakdown. Um, I've seen, I've seen Darnold and Rosen each extensively in person. Um, I've not yet seen the other guys in person, and there are some of the some of the later round guys I've seen. I've seen Falk. I've seen I am um, forgetting who else, but I've seen a few of them. And at any rate, that's sort of the order I have them in. But really, the top four. For me, it's pretty close based on A, they've all played really good ball at times, and b, I I know my own limitations. So with those sort of caveats as to my analysis of those four, I'd rather have you talk about what you've seen because, number one, you coach the position you have some idea of what you're talking about. Number two, um, I know that we we come at it pretty similarly, but you always have a slightly different angle than I do, and so... Tell me about your, your view of those top four or five guys. Well, to start
1: off, um, my 1A so far is Sam Darnold. Uh, I'm a big fan of his. I think he has a lot of really special qualities, especially when plays break down, which is really important, especially for a player early in his career in the NFL.
0: Uh, we saw this past year, at the end of the uh, season, I'm gonna the do Deshaun Kaiser. I'm going to interrupt you again, which is, I'm faux-palling all over the place. But let me ask you this for a number of years, you have expressed to me the importance of a quarterback who can throw without his feet. Um, and last year it was really coming to a head and I forget the book. So I'll ask you to sort of articulate it, but at any rate, there's somebody else who said it in print and did it with the authority of a real author (laughs) and, 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 to me, it makes a ton of sense. And, and it actually, when I think back to things that I've seen over the past couple of years, Aaron Rodgers talks constantly about how his whole uh, kinetic plan is not to be on his feet when he throws. He, neither feet is touching the ground when he throws. Constantly. And it's intentional. And so I'm not even sure that it is merely... A skill that is to be employed when necessary, but rather maybe it's partially a skill to be employed out of necessity because it's what's better for you. But at any rate, I know that Darnold is your guy who throws better without his feet. And if you could maybe talk about what that means a little bit and then relate it to him and some of these other guys, I think that would be useful.
1: Yeah, so uh, Terry Shea is actually the quarterback's coach. He uh, he coached with the Rams for a while, I believe, and he coached with the Kansas City Chiefs. I know um, Trent Green, coached him for a while. Um, it, it was his book. It's, it's one of the best, uh, it's probably the best quarterback book I've read. It's called Eyes Up. This is a quote I've actually got on my phone right here. I texted it to someone today about Darnold actually. Balance in the pocket is paramount. But 40% of the time you have to be able to throw without setting your feet. And that that just relates to the chaos that's always going on in the pocket. Um, even if you watch like Tom Brady in the Super Bowl, I mean, I just think about all the time like these guys they have to move around. They can't always set their feet to throw. If you're making these throws off platform, You've got to be able to throw accurately with great ball placement. And it and something, on a
0: split-second decision. So sometimes it's just, oh, shit, there it is. Got to get the ball out now.
1: Exactly. Like, um, if people have seen that highlight, that like, if you're on Twitter, you'll get this podcast from Twitter probably. You know, Daniel Jeremiah tweeted out this play the other night. He talked about Sam Darnold. This, his playmaking instincts are incredible. And he shows this play where he drops back to pass, scoots up in the pocket quickly, and there's a free rusher because his offensive line was absolute trash. And he has to jump up in the air and throw the ball. It's just literally a jump pass, like Tebow jump pass hits the dude in stride for a first down, running up the seam. Like, that's the kind of stuff that it's like, whoa, that's processing speed for one. That's just like basketball skills growing up, maybe. You know, and then just innate special athletic ability to be able to react like that, get the ball to an open receiver in stride, pick up the first down. Like that's that's a special play. So when you're, uh, you know, throwing without your feet, it takes a lot of arm talent. That was something that stood out about Pat Mahomes last year. I think when you watch a guy throw a quick game, actually. That's that's a huge part of it for me. Um, The way that a quarterback throws quick game, if they can throw the ball without having to turn their whole body and set their feet. And I think that's something that Darnold does. It's clinic worthy the way that he throws quick game with ball placement accuracy, never misses um, when he's throwing quick game. Basically, it's just it's really impressive, and I know that talking about those short little throws no, it doesn't can, sound like much. Can we, but, yeah,
0: I was going to say, can we, can we yeah. drill into that a little bit? Because uh, I completely agree with you here, and this was something I liked about Mahomes as well. And part of the reason to me, it, I played high school baseball, right? I'm not talking about myself as some great athlete, but I, I feel like I know how to throw a ball be it a baseball or a basketball or a football. or whatever. Like if I need to throw something with touch or with velocity, or whatever, at least I have a concept of if my body could do A, I need to make it do A, right? And it seems to me I saw a lot of what you're talking about in Pat Mahomes. That quick game stuff, he was remarkable at receiving the ball and delivering it in a place where the guy could simply catch it and run with it, which in the quick game to me is everything. And it involves catching a ball, not necessarily lining it up on the laces, and getting it out with velocity and spin and accuracy so that it's catchable, right? And, and mm-hmm. do something withable. And uh, I, I, what you're talking about with Darnold is the exact same thing I saw. It's not to be overlooked. It is much harder. It, it's one of those skills that, that these guys make look a lot easier than it is.
1: Oh yeah, exactly. And and with USC's offense, they run so many RPOs. So he's constantly having to do that mesh with the running back and then throw the ball extremely quickly before his offensive line gets down the field, hitting a guy moving in stride. So it's, it's just another thing with, with all this is he disassociates his upper body from his lower body. So if, if what I'm saying is like like I was saying with the quick game with the RPOs, he doesn't have to get his feet in a perfect position to make the throw for him to make the throw. Like he can make throws with all arm. It's similar to Mahomes. As where with like a Rosen, I'm a huge fan of Rosen. He's one B for me, but he is not gonna do that stuff. He's much more and of I a. Agree Peyton. with
0: you a hundred percent on this yep, distinction. Like there, m- there's much a, there's a feel difference between these two guys. That is to me really interesting number 1 cuz they're both valuable it just kind of depends on what you either prefer or absolutely demand your quarterback do but the bottom line to me is a good organization with good coaching is going to figure out a way to be happy with either one of these guys
1: yep i agree but it's just with uh with rosen it's a lot more subtle movements to beat pressure it's having to get the ball out on time to beat pressure or else he's going to take the big shot as where with Darnold, he can maneuver, he can move around. He, you know, he can make all these throws without his, yeah, you he's know, more without things be, sure. being perfect. Yeah. Without things being perfect. And when he gets outside the pocket, he, he just, when he beats that free rusher and gets outside the
0: pocket, he's special you on a scramble drill, he's outright dangerous. Yeah. There's you know, I had forgotten, um, the, the, there was a throw in, I want to say the late second quarter of the UCLA game, UCLA, USC game. That Darnold makes to the to the right boundary. That is one of the most special throws I think I've ever friggin' seen. And it kind of it kinda goes a little bit under the radar, except for if you're watching the copy of the game, Herb Street says, That's the biggest throw of this game. And and Herbstreet's a quarterback, he gets it. And he's like, that's an unbelievable throw. And you could you could it was one of those ones where if you were at the game, you knew a, a re, somebody who was a hardcore football fan was going to be recognizing that throw and putting both hands on their head and going, holy crap, did I just see what I just saw? And everybody else is going to be like, oh, completion, third and twelve. You know, you know what I mean? Like there, There's just something subtly great about the way he delivers the football. And, and it's not always perfectly pretty, but you're right. That, that ability to outrun a linebacker, a defensive end, and put it on the money.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think he he has some traits that like a Luck has, or a Ben Roethlisberger with making guys miss, getting outside of the pocket, and doing those special things. Is where I liken Rosen to more of a Matt Ryan, more of a Jared Goff type guy, where they're going to do their work from the pocket. It, it's kind of interesting how it's so this hard is for almost me to like
0: my Rosen argument yeah. consistent when I totally like those other guys better. <laughs> it's it's like a.
1: It's, it's kind of like similar to the 2016 draft, except for I would just say that Darnold is like a better version of Wentz as a prospect, and
0: Rosen is a better version of Goff as a prospect. Except for that and neither of them are quite the athlete that those other guys are, I don't think. I don't think Darnold's quite the athlete yeah. Wentz was, and, and I know that Rosen isn't quite the athlete Goff was, although I think for the purposes that it matters in the NFL, they're pretty similar
1: yeah I agree with that. I think it's just it's the instincts. It's the way they play the position more so though because there are other differences that I would say separate them but yeah, but anyway, so uh my first point that I was making Sorry and i'll that. I'll make this quick. No, no, it's fine, but I, I think that when a quarterback's coming into the NFL something that's really valuable is is that ability to get out of the pocket and make plays. And this year, actually, Kaiser had a 0.00 passer rating outside the pocket.
0: 0.00. Which is is in some ways counterintuitive because he really does have moments where he'll make a play outside the pocket that's remarkable. In fact, that preseason throw down the sideline, best play he's made in his NFL career. (laughs) But that was a remarkable play. Out to his left, down the sideline, touchdown. All that, or not quite touchdown, but a big play down the down the, yeah. the sideline. Couldn't it? It really highlights the difference between what's going on in August versus what's going on in October.
1: Yeah, I mean, he, he just. I think with Kaiser, like a big difference would just be like Kaiser has a lot of trouble making any throws if his feet aren't right. And his feet often aren't right, even when he's in the pocket, when he's in rhythm. His, he just can't get his feet right, his mechanics. And he can't throw in spite of his feet. As we with Darnold, yes, his drops, they're ugly. He's played the position for like five years now or something. He's only played He hasn't played quarterback Line, I believe USC started recruiting him as a linebacker to start out. He was a ten end
0: linebacker at San Clemente High School. Exactly. So
1: this is a guy that hasn't played the position a long time, ton of upside. And yeah, he threw a few more interceptions this year, but I've watched the coaches tape of the entire season and a lot of those plays and nobody was open. And yeah, some of those plays were really bad throws where he forced it, but he's still my top guy. So that's just where I stand on him. Uh, Rosen super polished prototypical pocket passer. Like I said, subtle movements in the pocket to evade pressure his offensive line didn't do a ton of favors either, although I would say USC's was a little worse. Was it? I was
0: curious about that. Yeah,
1: yeah, I th- I think it was. Yeah, I think that's uh, impressive, frankly. <laughs> I think USC's offensive line was worse. Yeah. Anybody um, throw a prettier ball than Rosen? No, no, I don't think so. He uh, he has that tennis background. It's very similar to serving. And that goes and, to, his uh, it the goes mechanics. to
0: his and mechanics feet and his release, right? Yep. Yes. And just the the over-the-top motion as well. Let let me dig into one of the red flags, supposedly, about Rosa. Because, look, there are are two big things that I think you and I are not really qualified to discuss, which is supposed character concerns and supposed injury durability concerns. Look, I acknowledge both, um, but I don't have a uh, real—to me, there's not a lot of point in people in our position having an opinion on it. We, we aren't in a position to analyze character or whether he's coachable or whether he has a strong work ethic other than by, you know, um, other than by implication based on what we see on, on TV in the games. Um, and then medical, medical is going to be what it is. Look, if he's got a couple of surgeries and a couple of concussions – Josh Rosen has shoulder problem, a couple of concussions. Is it reasonable to say, hey, I wonder if his medical will check out? Of course it is. But for us to have an opinion about it, meaningless. There's there There are a couple of things about Rosen, and I'd like your take on them. Number one, I've seen stats that would suggest that there are quarterbacks who had more balls dropped this year than Josh Rosen. I question those stats, number one. <laughs> number two, the long ball has been purportedly, uh, viewed as somewhat of a con for Josh Rosen by some in the draft community. And I, for one, have no frigging idea how you get there if you actually watch him play. And so I'd like your thoughts on those two things. I still have more to study on him. I'll admit
1: like 2017 season. I actually just got access to his coach's tape. Like his all 22, just like within the past week. So I still have to dive into that. You're a total nerd. You've
0: seen all the games on draft breakdown or something.
1: Come on. I've seen, yeah, I've seen plenty of them. I will say, yeah, his touch is very good. I mean, people might've been looking at something I didn't see, but yes, his touch on deep balls is excellent. I was very impressed by it. Um, Throws a great deep ball down the sideline, and when I've watched him, he had a ton of drop passes. Receivers were really un- no, you unreliable. You need to emphasize
0: that more. He had a ton of drop passes, <laughs> like handoffs in their lap, dropped passes. Yeah, Rosen
1: consistently threw with excellent ball placement, Thank and his you. receivers dropped a, dropped a ton of passes that were in stride. Um, I thought that Lasley was definitely his best receiver. I think I saw that, that guy came out for the draft. He he made the only plays basically out of their receiver core that I saw. Yeah. Other than that, it was a lot of drop passes, a lot of really unimpressive plays from the receivers. But I'm a big fan of his. He's extremely advanced. And I think, I think the thing that NFL teams are going to really love about his tape is everything's really translatable because he played in that offense where he was taking snaps or taking drops from under center, taking the deep drops, turning his back to the defense and the play action game as where well. you didn't get to see that quite as much from Darnold Mayfield. Some of these other guys that played in spread offenses with Rosen, he was playing in a pro style offense, so to speak. So it's a
0: pretty easy projection. It's a stark so I difference between like him that. and everybody else in this draft, right?
1: For the most part, I think, Lamar Jackson actually did play under Jackson.
0: That's true for sure. Yeah.
1: And, and I'll say about Darnold, he played in pistol a lot. So he was turning his back to the defense on the play action game and pistol, but still pistol is very similar to taking a snap from shotgun. And I think a lot of his lazy footwork comes from playing in shotgun and pistol so much.
0: Um, but yeah, So moving on to Baker Mayfield. Yeah, let's do Mayfield and Jackson. And I'll I'll stop interrupting you because these two guys, to me, are sort of the high-variance but huge ceiling options. And I'm I'm curious about it.
1: Yeah, Mayfield's always reminded me of Jeff Garcia ever since last summer, actually. um, he, He makes plays outside structure on the run, moving outside the pocket, he has a, actually a very strong arm. I don't think he gets enough credit for the arm strength that he has, but I will say that I think he needs more room than you'd probably like to see sometimes to gather and make those throws is where he, he can't really make the throws with bodies around him as well. as Some of these other quarterbacks can, which is an issue at times. I think we saw that in the Georgia game. Uh, he's um, he's very accurate as evidenced by his numbers I have seen guys like Matt, Matt Waldman point out some of the issues with his ball placement where he's not always putting the ball exactly on the money and uh, like it's not leading the receiver perfectly in stride, but due to the fact that the receivers were so wide open, he didn't have to throw with that great ball placement to get completions. So while that's not a huge red flag, because I think he's still a very accurate passer, I would have liked to see or. I think it's easy to say that the ball placement wasn't always exactly on point. Um, And then I think that another thing with Mayfield from what I've seen is he doesn't always have to play with great timing because that offense, those windows were huge. The receivers were running wide open all over the field. So he could,
0: let me ask you, how do you, how do you deal with that as you analyze or evaluate a guy for the NFL? He's playing in an offense where and look, other NFL quarterbacks have come out of this offense and come out of similar offenses. In fact, Pat Mahomes would be one of them, I guess, in some ways from last year that we're talking about. When you've got an offense in college where the game is inherently different and guys are in fact running wide open and reads are so much more at times defined. How do you, how do you take what you're, how do you take the input of the film that you watch from those kind of guys and, project it to a theoretical output into the NFL. Like how does somebody take Sam Bradford and know that Sam Bradford is going to be good in the NFL versus Jason White or Josh Heupel or whoever else played at Oklahoma? You know what I'm getting at? Like, how do we know Mason Rudolph, for example, isn't he who shall not be named on this podcast?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think, I think it's the traits, really. I mean, it's, it's just all the things we've been talking about. I mean, the arm talent, the way that a guy deals with pressure, moves around the pocket, the ball placement, the ability to move through a progression. Like that, that is a question that I have with Baker Mayfield. I mean, just like hanging on his first read for a long time. And then getting to a second read late, and it's so wide open that he doesn't have to throw to it on time. I didn't see that same stuff from USC and UCLA's offense. They weren't scheming Steelers guys open either. No, and they they weren't scheming guys open the way that you uh, that Oklahoma did. It, it just I just thought that it was completely different the way that Oklahoma has schemed guys open and the space that they create. Maybe it's those Big, big Twelve deep. Big 12 defenses, maybe they just don't cover anybody at all, and maybe that's not a myth at all. You know what, the
0: the Big 12 football field is the exact same size as the Big 10 football field is the exact same size as the SEC football field is the exact same size as the Mountain West football field on which certain quarterbacks couldn't throw throw for 100 yards against Hawaii. It's the exact same size as the football field in the Pac-12. So I've never really understood that argument. you got 11 guys to cover 100 yards by however many across. It is what it is.
1: No, I agree with that, but it's the past concepts, though. I mean, you call a concept and guys are running wide open, and your quarterback doesn't necessarily have to get through, through the progression as quickly as if they're running an offense that's where they're dictated not dictated by athletes,
0: at right? That's dictated by. And the game. offensive
1: coordinator. Okay. Yeah. Okay. The offensive coordinator, the athletes, stuff like that. Yes. And, and poor coverage. Yeah. So, poor co- defense. Coaching matters. Oh, <laughs> big time. Yes. And then the other thing I've seen from him is I just don't think he gets through his progressions, pure progressions, where I'm talking he reads like one, two, three, four, five across the field rather than making like a half-field read. Um, How often in the NFL
0: do you get to get five through?
1: Not often because you're going to check it down quickly. If if a guy
0: comes, you're going to check it down. Yeah, a better question, I guess, is – we know that a factor or a a feature of the contemporary college game, and look, this is going to be a nerdy, long first podcast back into the foray here, but we know that in the modern game, those reads are more defined. There's a lot of half field stuff, right? Yeah, it's because it works, mm-hmm. right? It does. Yeah, it does. Why is that not the case in the NFL? Why isn't this stuff employable at the NFL level? Because it sure seems to me like I see, at the very least, offshoots of that in guys like Sean McVay.
1: I think there are, there are some of it. There, there's definitely some coverage reads. I mean, there's plays where you read the flat defender and throw off of him. But I think that the coverages are so complex and different that you have to have plays where it's defined, where it's one, two, three, four, five. This is your check down. This is your hot. You're hot off the mic. You're hot off the Sam. Like the running back has the will, like you have to have it completely defined and and the best college offenses have it like that as well, obviously, but it has to be extremely defined in the NFL because those coverages and the way that they disguise their coverages, it's just so complex I mean, if you tell the quarterback every play like, hey, read the flat defender, read the guy over number two and you come out and the defense is lined up in something you've never seen before, you just can't like you can't run an offense that way. Your quarterback's going to be confused. It's going to be a pick six and you're going to lose by three points because it's the NFL and every game's close. So that's that's just why. You can't. It's it's just a, a way different game. In college, everybody runs cover four. I mean, that, that's basically the way it goes. I mean, teams run some other stuff, obviously. Yeah, cover one, if, if you got the athletes, you'll run some man. But everybody basically is running cover four, especially in the in the uh, Big Twelve. So the complexity is the reason. But with uh with Mayfield, the other thing was the pure progressions. When they've ran them, I've seen less instances of him reading one to two to three to four, you know, even than I have with Rosen and Darnold Where with Mayfield, he'll go, he'll look one, he'll hang on one for a while, see if he's open, get to two. And then if that's not open or if he even gets there, he's probably going to take off and run and try to make that play, you know, outside the pocket, which that works. Sometimes he's very good at that. He's very good on the scrabble drills, but, um, I think there's just less less structure to his game at times than with even Darnold and especially Rosen.
0: And, and not to ask the Manziel question, but um, this is the on-field man, Manziel question, not the off-field. Is he good in the scramble drills because he is looking to throw and staying downfield, or is he good in the scramble drills because he's a scrambler?
1: Oh, he's definitely looking to throw. I mean, Mayfield, when he takes off to run, he definitely looks to throw. I think if you looked at his rushing stats compared to Manziel in college, it's not even close
0: is the he, way that is, they played. Is he, in your mind, a better passer than Manziel was coming out?
1: Oh, man. Um,
0: See, this is a really interesting I, I, discussion to me with you because I know how high you were on Manziel yeah, from, a play, from a play perspective, and I was with you, and I remain committed to that point and I'll die on that hill so we'll skip over that but I do remember that I want to say it was two years ago I was getting texts from you going yo this Baker Mayfield kid has something to him he's a lot like a lot like Manziel but he might be cleaner Mm -hmm. he might be cleaner and I'm just kind of wondering now that you've seen his whole career play out how you how you feel about it
1: yeah I think uh I would say that Manziel was a better natural talent I think Definitely, I mean, if you looked at Manziel, like much less, much uh, less polished as a passer, but still could make these utterly insane throws like without his feet, like we discussed as we're with Mayfield. I think, as I mentioned earlier, he needs more space in the pocket to throw, which was something that Manziel needed. But I think Mayfield needs a little more space to get those throws off at times. Um, and, He obviously didn't have that running ability. I mean, Manziel, like they would run quarterback power against Alabama, like ridiculous. You know, he was a tough dude. Like People didn't give him the credit really in hindsight. Now they don't give the talent the credit it deserves. Mayfield, probably a more polished passer, I would say. But I think they have similar. Like, I've gone back and watched some of the coaches' tape of Manziel in college, and actually, he had some of the similar issues when it came to progressions, where he'd go from one, you know, he'd hang on one, he'd get to two slowly, take off running, you know, evacuate the pocket. He was uncomfortable going through progressions on time. Didn't play to, with to timing. To be
0: fair, it's not always so. easy to get off a of one when one is Mike Friggin Evans. Yeah, <laughs> exactly.
1: But yeah, I, th- I think their games are definitely comparable but like i said at the beginning i i think he's a similar player to jeff garcia when i go back and watch those jeff garcia highlights i think he has a chance to have a very good career he's a fiery dude uh, i i mean like we can't are, are talk you, about the off-field are stuff. you
0: taking jeff garcia number one overall no not what about number four no because i've already taken the <laughs> guy at one it's the same fucking <laughs> question that's why not how about, exactly. how about Lamar Jackson? And I know we discussed him a little bit earlier, and I know we're running kind of lengthy, but, hey, number one, it's been a year. Number two, it's good to see your mug on my computer screen. Number three, it we're the Cleveland Browns. It's the offseason, and it's quarterback time, so we might as well be talking about it in some kind of depth. Lamar Jackson, to me, uh, you know, it's an audio podcast, so you won't see my face, but my face would be conveying – I think this guy's pretty interesting now. Uh, The thing to me is erratic isn't the right word. He he makes some of the most ridiculous, dime-accurate passes. If you put together a clip of the best passes of this class, Lamar Jackson would have a load of them. The weird thing is he also has a bunch where he's way the hell off. And to me, that's mechanical in nature. Mechanics can be played with. Mechanics can be tightened up. The ability to make the throw is not something you can just go attain by reps. He has abilities that will never, ever, ever be teachable. And so if the stuff that is teachable can be sufficiently kind of hammered into that product, I guess I don't really understand why Lamar Jackson isn't part of the discussion for number one overall. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah, I like that. Okay. So I've been
1: very impressed with his talent, obviously. I mean, incredible runner. I mean, I think he could be as impactful as Vic was as a runner, but they're Look,
0: different I styles. Was, I was there. This dude is m- way better than Mike Vick was as a college player. Okay. Yeah. You're talking he, about as a runner? Or no, I'm talking about as, talking a, about as a quarterback. As a, yes, runner, yes, as, yes. As a runner, Mike Vick is the nastiest thing. <laughs> that ever existed on the quarterback. No, Lamar Jackson yeah. can't quite be Mike Vick, but okay. but Lamar Jackson's got at least it's good enough. You know what I'm saying? Like oh oh, the, it's, it's the absurd flat line though. Speed if he's mean, out, it's it's over, which yeah. is the same as Vick But Vic was Vic was Barry Sanders shifty. It was dude. It was not normal. But this guy's a better player. Lamar Jackson's yeah. a a good passer, and he's playing for. Nice. He's playing for Bobby Petrino, who was hired as an NFL coach because of his offensive genius, and he's played a lot of games. He's got a lot of reps, and I've watched him take over big ones. Yep. Why is he not in the discussion?
1: Uh, can we? You don't, get have, into... you don't have to
0: tell me he's not. You can say he is, and then we'll be off.
1: <laughs> well, I think the reason he's not is the R word, but... <laughs> I don't think we want to get into that too, too much. Look, but,
0: I'm I'm more than willing to acknowledge it on the podcast. There are a lot of NFL people that aren't going to take a black guy number one overall to play quarterback. Period. But well, yeah. that run
1: around the way he that that it's it's the aesthetic of it. It's not that he's it's not that he's black. He's because he's, Cam Newton was black. It, 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 it's fair, Well, it's not it that. Depends it's it's, it's the aesthetic. It's the way he runs. Yeah, it's yeah. The, yeah. It's reminiscent of Vic the way he runs, and then there are those misses. Let's,
0: not, so act they combine like, let's not act like Cam Newton didn't run. So to me, the point the point is really there are some franchises for whom that man will not be an option. You can choose your reasons. I'm asking about the Browns, for whom I suspect he would be an option if the play is commensurate with what they're looking for. I mean, they've hired a black head coach. They've hired a black GM I don't think that's the issue in Cleveland. I could be wrong. They didn't sign cap, but nobody signed cap, right? No, they
1: had RG3. Yeah,
0: so I, I don't think that's the issue in Cleveland. So my question really is, just back to the football, why is it that he's not at least intriguing enough that I'm really paying close attention to getting down to late March? Like, I want that dude's workout for sure. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So I'm, I'm still working my way through studying him super closely, but I've seen plenty to this point. And, uh, I think the the reason that he's not talked about up there is some of the mechanical stuff you talked about with the misses. He's not as accurate as those other guys are the top three that we mentioned. And he has those, those misses that are really just concerning, I guess. And it, and he can be you, a street passer.
0: How do you deal with the question of, is it, you, you're about to say it. He's a streaky passer at times. Yep. There's accuracy and then there's consistency. Yep. Because sometimes he's freaky
1: accurate. You know what I mean? Yes. Oh, big time. Yeah. And he has he has a very strong arm too. Yeah. Actually, I saw some of the same type misses with Bridgewater, which it's, it's weird because he played at Louisville as well, but I thought he had some of those really weird misses with that. It was a loopy motion as well, similar to how Lamar Jackson. He has – Kind of, he flings the ball. It's it's a unique motion, Um, but he plays with such a narrow base, and it it leads to some overstriding.
0: If I'm not mistaken,
1: yeah, yeah, they are, and both Louisville quarterbacks. Yeah, I actually think as a passer, he is kind of similar to Bridgewater. I mean, they both had trouble throwing down the sideline on deep balls as well. Um, Bigger arm, yeah, yeah, bigger arm than Bridgewater, and. I would say not as consistent at accuracy, but they have the same type of just head scratching misses from time to time that make you just wonder what the hell just happened. But
0: he, uh, what's that like said the Cleveland Browns fan. Yeah.
1: But, but yeah, I think his base is just something that you really have to work on. Uh, when you work with him, I'd love to see him end up. I mean, I don't know if this will happen, but with, uh, I mean, a quarterback coach like, um, well, I was going to say Shanahan, but he has Garoppolo now, but just someone that's going to coach him up, give him some time. I'd really like to see his base uh, widen his base a little bit so that he's not overstriding so much because that leads to such a up and down release point to the point where he's overthrowing some things, but he's also throwing some passes on the dirt because his release point is not in the same place all the time. Cause he's overstriding. So I just, uh, I'm, I'm impressed with him. He's very talented, great arm. Um, doesn't have all the, this, sp- I wouldn't say he has all those special arm talent, like things, you know, throwing without his lower body and stuff that we talked about before. He doesn't have that kind of stuff. It's not, he doesn't he have like, some a, of them. Yeah, he, he does, but I'm, I'm saying like, the, um, like he's definitely not going to throw without his base so often as some of the other guys I was, we were talking no, about, not, but those
0: you know, are really a, that's a special category though. But like, he is kind of like, he's got that arm flick or the wrist yep. flick power that, that Vic did have. That to me is the <laughs> thing that is most reminiscent of Vic is the, he can throw it. It's not quite Vic, but he can throw it on a zip no, 40 yards. It's not. No, it's not. But nobody We're, is don't say understand. forty. I was 40 there. Something. I was there. Vic was ridiculous. they just not I know there's never been anything like that. And yeah. so yeah. Well, what
1: what I was saying at the beginning about the running ability is I just think his impact as a runner, especially yeah. in modern offenses where teams are incorporating the run the um the zone read or, or at power at least the read smart ones run. are. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, that's the, that's what it's going to take. Is someone has to buy into him completely and mold their offense around him. If you do that, I mean, he could be really special early on because he's going to be hard to deal with. And, well, other, and the, other the, than like I mean, the
0: Browns, who would you who? What kind of team would be the kind of team that you feel like he would slide into?
1: Um,
0: what do you who, who's the who
1: is the Jets new? Do we know yet? The, offensive coordinator Uh, i don't remember
0: i don't i I know who minnesota's is (laughs) Oh, flip oh man long live flip yeah it's it's
1: possible wentz is a hell of an athlete but obviously not on that level not
0: quite the same players yeah not even close real quick we're we're dragging it out which is fine because frankly if we're having a good time that's the podcast will be fine um what about Josh Allen? Have you spent any time on him?
1: I've spent a, a little bit. I, I think the decision making is really
0: something that has a long, long <laughs> no, way to go. Period after something, <laughs> the, the decision making is really something. Would you agree? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That look, uh, he's a talented Nebraska, kid. But Nebraska game where he threw five picks. Look, he's you a know, talented that, kid. But let's be real about what we're talking about. He's got half a dozen games where he doesn't throw the ball for a hundred yards in a college football game in the mountain West against teams like Hawaii. He didn't throw for a hundred yards on Hawaii. Josh Rosen threw for 6 billion yards against Hawaii. (laughs) This guy threw for 94, 94. There were, I want to say it was four. It's at least three games where he didn't throw for a hundred yards. He's not the number one pick period Oh, not even close it's, uh, Josh, it's just disappointing Lamar, to me Lamar that he Jackson, gets all
1: this hype and Lamar Jackson doesn't. Lamar Jackson That's would have
0: had a thousand yards of total offense in a single game against Hawaii <laughs> a thousand yards promise I've seen it yeah so Josh Allen to me if he ends up on the Cleveland Browns I promise you what will be what will be the hashtag Brendan I know you can do it tell me Hashtag go Rams. That's exactly friggin' right. The original Cleveland Rams. That's right. Go Rams. I grew up 20 minutes from Anaheim Stadium watching the likes of Nolan Cromwell, Jim Everett, Eric Dickerson. I can go back to real quick. (laughs) And I
1: grew up watching a team that is now owned by Jimmy Haslow, so I have the right to choose whoever the
0: hell I want. That's both our bad. Yeah, Jimmy. Jimmy. Jimmy, Jimmy, Jimmy. Yeah. Anyway,
1: I just choose quarterbacks I liked. Jared Goff.
0: Go Chiefs, Sue. Yeah, go Chiefs. Go Raiders, go go Jaguars. Forget it. Before we go, last question. Your ideal 1 for 33 and 35. I
1: don't want to get into 33-35 yet. Yeah, no, I, just, yeah, for
0: now, we're going to change it again in a week, but just do it for kicks. Go. Darnold,
1: Chubb, <clears throat> Geis, and um, I honestly don't know the second-round type guys well enough yet. Sure I, enough. I can't get into it. Your I'll favorite, be honest.
0: Your favorite receiver or corner.
1: Based on what I've seen and read, that DJ Moore guy from Maryland—he's very intriguing as a receiver. And corner-wise, if Fitzpatrick can play corner, then well, obviously you're not getting excited about the it.
0: second round.
1: Oh yeah, I didn't know what you were—I thought you were asking about just favorite corner, and then Denzel Ward. But he won't Not be there either. either. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Tell me why Denzel Ward can't go number four overall. Because he's five ten? That's the only answer.
1: It seems to be the only answer. I mean, I watched every game of his career. I saw him play in high school in Nordonia. Uh Urban Meyer said he was the fastest guy on the team when he was a Awfully freshman, when he was a redshirting.
0: Good player. off. Yeah. Good.
1: Man coverage skills. Very sticky, long arms makes plays on the ball in the well, air. So, so they, they play more man to man than anybody in the country, and that so, translates to the NFL perfectly. That's yeah. the deal. I mean, that's why Marshawn Lattimore just was the was he the defensive player defensive rookie of the year? Yeah, he yeah. was. And uh, just the, so everyone the knows,
0: got both the defensive and the offensive rookie of the year. How about that?
1: Yeah, but this guy Denzel Ward, he split time with Marshawn Lattimore. They split. It it was Gary on Conley on one side starting like full time. He would move to the slot and nickel and then or in pass down situations. But Lattimore and Denzel Ward, they were splitting time. They were co-starters. If you look at the depth chart from when they played Clemson in the game where they got destroyed and they fired their offensive coordinators after the game. Those two guys, they were co-starters. So. Defensive Rookie of the Year, and this guy, Denzel Ward, he's a stud. I think he's going to have a great NFL career. I'm really excited to see him. I think he could play inside or outside, too, because he's just so athletic. Changes direction really well.
0: Why Chubb over Fitzpatrick or over the corner? Just the premium of pass rush?
1: Yeah, positional value. and From what I've seen and read and gathered, it just seems like Chubb is a probably the best defensive player in the draft most impactful I mean it's harder to find those rare pass rushers and I just want to see the Browns really upgrade that unit I think
0: they, it would be need, awesome they need seven of them and they've got, got two. Stuff. that's the bottom line exactly yeah
1: exactly that's that's where we're at and, and I'm really excited about like Ogunjobi I mean he looks like a really good young Maybe they player but yeah yeah yeah. But 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 we're talking about pass rush, though. And I think he he is a work in progress as a rusher. He's very up and down. He's a dominant run defender for a rookie in the NFL, a rookie third-round pick. Yeah, the only reason I I like I've got optimism on it. him
0: pass rush-wise is that he's got that quick – he's quick off the ball. And I think that yeah. matters, yeah. So.
1: Yeah, I agree. But I think he's a guy that's going to push the pocket more so than he's going to, like, disrupt and create sacks. Yeah, and <laughs> yeah create he's not the, Aaron Donald. I agree. <laughs> exactly. and And I want more of – that type of athleticism well, of, of I'll
0: take 70% of Aaron Donald if you can get him to me <laughs> that would be just fine Yeah. Um, yeah and then the other question was there's no chance guys is there pick one in the second round is there
1: I don't know I'm I, having, it, with the running backs I the it's, running it's impossible back class. To I, just, I just have no idea I think, yeah, I think yeah. running backs should go later than they have been I mean I don't think that running backs should have gone four the past two I, years. And
0: I you know I agree completely with you, but I also agree with you that this is a class full of really talented guys. And so it's sort of a it's a balancing act, right? It is, but
1: you would think that teams would feel like they can wait because You would think. I just, agree. Yeah, they just say, Okay, we'll take, you know, our most talented, impactful I'm not saying running backs aren't impactful, but they're much less valuable, much less impactful of a position than most of the other positions. So they could say, we'll take this really impactful pass rusher or defensive back or offensive lineman in the first round, come back round two or three, their favorite running back might still be on the board. I mean, unless they thought that they were going to get Barkley somehow, if that was their top running back, which. You know, that was really unlikely if they were drafting at seven. Save
0: feet. that thought because we'll come back to the running back question. Mr. Barkley <laughs> sometime in short order. I think we're going to call it, man. We've been on you and me for 138, which means that this podcast is going to be over two hours in length, which seems <laughs> a healthy welcome back, Mr. Cotter. Um, but anyway, it's good to be back. It's good to be doing this again. I enjoyed it, man. It's good talking to you. Yeah. Yeah, man, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, we've got, uh, we'll, we'll try and hone in on some draft study here over the next couple of months. Yep. We'll really focus in on the draft. You and I will each, we'll dig in on position groups. We'll dig in on guys specifically. We'll ask folks for some questions, so on and so forth. We'll have guests. We'll play. It's all good things. Good talking to you, brother. Yep, you too, man. Take care. Sleep well in the heart of Ohio. <laughs> All right. Thank you, everyone. This has been Brown's Note Podcast, episode 45, if you can believe that. Stretched over a good number of years with a little bit of a hiatus in there. Shout out if hiatus means anything to you. But with that, we will leave you. My name is Ryan Burns. You can find me at FTBL Sickness. You can find Brendan Leister at Brendan Leister on Twitter. You can find the podcast here at The Brown's Note. With this, we will leave you. We'll talk to you again shortly, be it in a week, two, three, four, whatever the case may be. God knows it's been a year this time. It won't be as long this time, I promise. We'll see you next week. Woof.